This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now yesterday, Boris Johnson turned up in Northern Ireland to see if he could make peace between the DUP and Sinn Féin, essentially, and after the elections uh, of the week before last, if there was any possibility of getting an assembly up and running, which of course requires the consent of the DUP and the other significant feature is that Michelle O'Neill will be the First Minister and Geoffrey Donaldson would have to be Deputy First Minister and that's not an appealing option, I imagine, for the DUP. Anyway, Boris Johnson was there to see what they could do about the Northern Ireland Protocol and there will be a significant development in London later today, we believe, when the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss announces the possibility of legislation unilaterally taken by the British government, which would be actually a breach of international law. To discuss what's happening to Sinn Féin, north and south now, it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand one of the most venerated Republicans of all time, really. Danny Morrison was a Sinn Féin, an IRA activist for a very long time. He belongs to the generation of Martin McGuinness and Gerry Adams, He's subsequently gone on to have a really successful career as a writer of novels and plays. And he is, of course, the man who said in he was director of publicity for Sinn Féin from 79 until 1990 at the height of the Troubles. And at the 1981 Ordesh, he said the following, with a ballot paper in one hand and an armalite in the other, We can't take power in Ireland. And that has resonated down the years as one of the most profound observations of the Troubles. Danny, thank you very much for joining me on the stand. Good Uh, to speak to you again, Eamon. It's a real pleasure to have you. I shouldn't really start any conversation with Boris Johnson, but unfortunately, (laughs) he's the man uh, at the moment. Where are we now, Danny, in the long journey that you 
and your contemporaries, Martin McGuinness, Jerry Adams, and so many others, the long journey you, you began, where are we, do you think? Well, I think that uh, certainly we're in a much better place uh, as a result of the IRA ceasefire. In 1994, I was in prison at the time, serving an eight-year sentence, and I was also the chair of Sinn Féin in the hits blocks at that time, and I know that the vast, vast majority of the prisoners supported uh, the risk-taking involved at that time of ceasefire and, and basically converting the chips of armed struggle uh, into politics and into electoralism. And that's why uh, that was the objective of my original statement back in 1981. About yes. The box. Yes, because there was a strong reaction from older an older generation of IRA men against you, because what you were advocating was a move towards politics. Well, I mean, anyone who knows the history of the Republican movement has know knows also that it's been subject to splits and schisms down the years, including one hundred years ago uh, a split over the treaty, which led to the Civil War. Uh, in 1922 and 1923. So back back then, there were a couple of us uh, in the leadership who would have liked to have opened an electoral front and began contesting elections for a variety of reasons. But we could ne- we never could see foresee how the tr- we could make the transition without a major internal uh, arguments and disagreements. And you're right, there were some people who objected to the move. There were some people who had supported. Bobby Sands' election for Mal and South Throne is a one-off. Yes. But of course, Mrs. Thatcher changed the law to, and blocked any other political prisoners for running for election, which is why we put forward Owen Caron in the by-election in August 81. And then when the hunger strike ended on the 3rd of October 1981, some people in for Mal and South Throne were saying that he needs to resign his seat. And uh, my attitude was that uh, what we have, we hold. We yes. want to build on this. Now, the argument came up at the RDS, the annual conference, in uh, October, November 1981. And we had put down a motion uh, from the Art Collier, the National Executive, asking the incoming RDS to give us authority to make a decision about whether or not to contest any assembly elections in the North on an abstentionist ticket. Uh, we thought that it was going to be easily passed, but during the course of the debate, there was many, many people getting up and saying, no, it was a one-off, we can't go down this road. And some of those people actually were to leave the organisation in 1986 with uh, Rory O'Brady over the issue of ending abstentionism towards Leinster House in the south of Ireland. Yes. So I remember, we were on the platform and the answer House and Adam says, we have to get up and talk to this, speak to this motion. Uh, so I got up and out of nowhere came that expression. It wasn't planned. I hadn't even planned to speak him. And in a sense, I suppose I was playing to the gallery uh, and trying to reassure people that the struggle could go on, the arms struggle could continue in parallel with uh, Sinn Féin contesting elections. But I was also aware that there was a ceiling to that support while the arms struggle continued. Yes. And I had, uh, I supported the continuation of the arms struggle. And it wasn't until many years later, in the 1990s, when the IRA was actually better armed than ever, as a result of consignments of weapons that had come through from Libya. Uh, the accident had been caught in 1987, but I presume other consignments, armed consignments, had got through in subsequent years. So the IRA was in a, a very, very strong position. And at the same time, even though it was better armed than ever, 
it was unlikely, even if it was to fight on for another 15 or 20 years, to improve the negotiating muscle of the nationalist community. Yes. Because in my opinion, a military stalemate had arisen. And this was confirmed by several statements by uh, senior British Army officers, who says we cannot defeat the IRA. Uh, we cannot defeat the IRA, and it requires a political settlement. And I think that this triggered, certainly in us in jail, a discussion around it, and certainly in the leadership on the outside at that stage, were, were tentatively involved. Uh, Mark McGuinness and Jerry Kelly, for example, were meeting, secretly meeting uh, British government representatives and discussing, trying to tease out what would happen if there was a ceasefire. But there were still dangers in it because we knew that elements of the British uh, military, especially MI5 and what we call the securocrats, would try and split the Republican movement. Yes. And they did, they did so because when the ceasefire was called, John Major, who never had said this privately, through his representatives, suddenly turned around and said, Sinn Féin have to go through a period of decontamination before they can take part in talks. And I think this was an attempt by them to create distrust within the movement, within the ranks, the grassroots, to turn around and say, Adams and McGuinness have sold us a pup. Yes. And it was a very dangerous time. Uh, and as you know, later, uh, the real IRA split away and they were responsible for the horrific OMA bombing. Yes. Uh, but we were right to go down that road. And the fruits of it are seen today were in, the, in, some, in several successive opinion polls in the South, Sinn Féin is sitting on about 34, 36%. And in the North, Sinn Féin has become the largest party, uh, got a quarter of a million votes last Thursday, or actually on the day of Bobby Sands, the anniversary of Bobby Sands' death, May the 5th. So we have made tremendous progress and uh, we have shown the people that there is a peaceful, political way forward to bring about major change in asylum, a constitutional change. And the biggest regret that I have, and one of the things that most annoys me, is the uh, the food dragon by the Dublin establishment, by the two major parties down there, and by a large section of the Irish establishment, which actually, they love, they don't love Ireland, they love the 26 counties. Yes, and just... Before we leave the question of Sinn Féin running for office and abandoning the weaponry, that was a truly dangerous moment because many of the people you'd fought with, many of them courageous and committed people, did see it as a sellout. Yeah, and some of them formed other organisations, but none of those organisations were ever in a position to replicate the tempo of the IRA campaign at its height. Yes. And and the and also the state that I'm living in today, where I'm speaking to you from now in West Belfast, it's not the state I grew up in. It has changed right. dramatically. There is no even though the DUP and the Austrian Unionist Party before the election, and this is fifty five years after the demand for one man, one vote, wouldn't say yes. that they would accept the outcome of the election and accept Michelle Neal as first minister. So we have changed things dramatically and there's no institution in this state in the north that is not open to a nationalist or a Republican. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Where does Sinn Féin sit on the political spectrum, Danny? If we were to look at it left to right, right to left, where does Sinn Féin sit on that spectrum? So Sinn Féin is a left-wing political party, uh, but it's also a responsible party. It's also uh, pragmatic, has to accept realities. I mean, I, I remember campaigning against membership of the European Union in the referendums 45 years ago. But yep. I also, uh, I'm not sure if you've read my prison diary, but which was published as then the walls came down, but I sent out a, a, a secret message, a smuggled message to Jerry Adams around 1981, observing the European Union and suggesting that there was a possibility that this whole notion of pool sovereignty, that we could use it to our advantage and that we could use the European Union and institutions, but it would, it would, it would require having much more positive engagement with them. Uh, as part of the as part of our struggle for reunification and, and radical political change in Ireland, so Sinn Féin, I mean, always. I mean, if you understand the roots of Sinn Féin, it is a unique political party. It is unlike any of the other conventional parties in the twenty six counties because of the struggle in the north, because of our emergence from the fifty years of second class citizenship, the pogroms, uh, the the oppression, the sparking off of an armed struggle. The, nobody, I mean, the, the, the Tan War lasted for two years, our war lasted for 28 years. It was just uh, remarkable. But during that, the course of that struggle, we expressed solidarity with the likes of the ANC, their struggle, struggles in Central America. We continue to have a very, very positive relationship with the Palestinian people and their cause. And indeed, I would foresee a Sinn Féin government 
uh, in the south of Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, actively moving to recognise the Palestinian state. Uh, and then, of course, you have Sinn Féin's position on housing, on uh, social and economic matters in the south. I, I'm not an economist, I'm not an academic, I, I can't make all of those arguments, but uh, in terms of sentiment, I agree with the direction of travel. It has been accused, uh, in the south in particular, of being a populist party. Yeah, well, your enemies are always going to throw everything at you. I mean, they've, they've attempted... It started off with Sinn Féin was... I mean, the, the Workers' Party used to say that Sinn Féin was uh, the provisional alliance. It was the Foyle that set up the IRA in 1970. And, of course, it was absolute nonsense. I remember the days, Liam, and you probably remember these, when the Workers' Party were described by the media as the biggest threat uh, to the British presence in Ireland. You know, they wanted yes. to have a Cuba off the coast of England. And, of course, <laughs> my generation, uh, and I, I became involved when I was 16 or 17 at the time of the split. I mean, we, we had different views, but our priority was the defence of our areas. Uh, and that came before, that came before uh, sort of uh, left-wing rhetoric. Uh, yes. uh, but we actually meant what we said. I mean, remember said Robespierre once said that about Danton. This man is dangerous. He believes in what he is saying. And that was, that was Jerry Adams. That was Martin McGuinness. Let me ask you about the shadows that hang over Sinn Féin, particularly in the north. And I'm going to talk about two in particular. The murder of Robert McCartney in that pub and the murder of Paul Quinn in Monaghan, in a shed, in Castle Blaney. These are atrocities that we believe were committed by Sinn Féin members. But... I, I, I think no, that, that is... Uh, I think you need to be very careful there. I took, well, let me, I took, let me well, just well, I took, explain, where I'm, explain where I'm coming from. I support and have supported Sinn Féin uh, having been extremely critical of Sinn Féin in the past. But once the arms were laid down and peace was the agenda, I would be supportive of them. But there is an element, given naturally the hold or the prominence of Sinn Féin in their communities, there is an element that uses that to bully people and sometimes to kill them. Well, and the Robert McCartney case is a case in point. Oh, the Robert McCartney case, I mean, Robert McCartney case is a, is a, is a, a bar brawl in which a knife is produced and a young man uh, was stabbed to death in atrocious circumstances. Absolutely. And if anybody has any evidence, they should give it to the PSNI. That has been my position from the beginning. And I, I met the McCartney sisters uh, back at the time. Uh, the position on, on the killing, the brutal killing of Paul Quinn, again, Nothing to do with the Republican struggle. I don't know if individual Republicans hold membership of Sinn Féin or the IRA, as you say, who were involved in that. But that's totally, absolutely nothing to do with the struggle. And if those people can be identified, those people should be charged. If there is evidence, they should be convicted and sent to prison. Now, I can be no, no clearer than that in my remarks. Well, the problem people have is that Sinn Féin members or uh, members, uh, former members of the IRA, we believe, and present members of Sinn Féin believe that there's a reluctance within the community 
to identify the people responsible and to have them brought to justice. Well, I, I'm only Ray. I don't want to just to sidetrack us. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't, in our I, whole well, conversation, all, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if what you say is true. Certainly, even though Sinn Féin has endorsed the judiciary in the north, and Sinn Féin has recognised the PSNI, and Margaret Mac Martin McGuinness had uh, a tout written about his name. On, when he was taking his grandchildren to school, written on the wall nearby by dissident Republicans because he condemned the killing of a PSNI officer. I don't know if what you're saying is true. But what I know is this. It's not reflected. If, the, if, if there was this degree of bullying, which is often thrown at, at, at Republicans, then how come at the ballot box, the, the ordinary people who are supposed to be bullied, according to this theory, come out in their thousands, quarter of a million of them, and vote for this party? Because it's quite clear that the image and the descriptions and the depictions of Sinn Féin aren't, aren't believed by the people who live, who live in South Armagh, who live in West Belfast, who live in the Market area, who live in the Short Strand. Before I move on from this, th this transition that you and your comrades have made from violence, from militarism, to peaceful, democratic, politics is a difficult one to make. And in making that transition, things like the Paul Quinn thing and the Robert McCarthy thing are bound to happen. Well, they That's the point. I don't know where they're bound to happen, but they shouldn't happen. And Republicans and Republican spokespersons, I'm, I'm not an official Republican spokesperson, as you know, but, oh, but, I, but I, as, a, as a Republican... We can make our position uh, no clearer than, than saying to people that this shouldn't happen and condemning these things, these actions by people. Okay, let me ask you about the future, particularly the calls now for a vote on a united Ireland, a ballot at some stage on a united Ireland. How does that feature in your vision of the future? Well, firstly, it certainly is the direction of travel within society. There are a lot of vested interests against it for a variety of reasons, uh, some political, some economic. The unionists, of course, don't want any change in uh, the, the union between the North and Britain, which, of course, was imposed upon us by violence. And the Irish establishment in the South, which I believe still contains the original DNA of free statism. Uh, they're, they're the equivalent of the unions and what we have, we hold. They become very, very comfortable with the institutions and the ethos of a 26-county state, which scandalously they refer to as Ireland, yes. uh, as if we in the North aren't in, in Ireland. So I am quite comfortable and patient about what is happening. There can be no united Ireland until the argument is made that it makes social, economic and political sense. So politically, in the North, the, the electoral rise of Sinn Féin, the demographic changes, which should be announced in September, with the result of the last census, yeah. the increased vote in alliance, which has not taken a position yet on a border poll, uh, the rise of Sinn Féin in the South, for a variety of reasons, but one can't exclude it's because of republicanism, and it's because of the, the message and the ideal of having Ireland independent 
and uh, Britain out of our interfering our affairs at long last after 800 years. So I believe that there's a notice on the Irish government to do the work, preparatory work. They call it now citizens' assemblies regularly to look at proposals and referenda. So I think there's a notice on the Irish government to do more than what Michael Martin has done with the, the shared, uh, I think it's a shared future. Shared uh, island, yeah. Shared, shared island initiative. I think more could be done. I, we're not economic, economists. So we need to bring in the best cream of academia, which can look at statistics, analyze things. The British government still won't say, by the way, how much money is generated in the north. Yeah. They refuse to be specific about the figures here so that we can work out exactly how much money we would need to transition to uh, a new Ireland. However it's configured, whatever way it's configured, it may not be a unity state. I- ideally, I would like a unity state. Ideally, I would like a 32-county democratic socialist republic. But I have to be a realist here. I have to win people to that position. Now, it's fair to say, isn't it, Danny, that if you look north and south, you're looking at two failed states, not one. That's correct. And the living circumstances down here for housing and health at the moment, and probably with the recession to come, for jobs, for working class people in particular, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I want to see how the reunification process would work. If the, it's, it's, it's said that 12 billion goes to the north from Britain every year. We wouldn't have that kind of money down here. So who's going to subsidize it? Well, first of all, we have to establish what the exact figure is. Yes. Part of, I mean, our engagement with the uh, Good Friday Agreement, I mean, I hated Stormont. Stormont assimilates 50 years of second-class citizenship and humiliation. And yet, in order to build peace and to build confidence, we agreed to end our our policy objection to uh, Stormont and to go in and work with the Unionists for a number of reasons to build relationships, to ensure that what happened in the past never reoccurs, to also build friendships with the, with the unionists on common ground, on social economic matters uh, at parochial and six-county level, but also to use the cross-border bodies, the all-Ireland bodies that were part of the Good Friday Agreement, to slowly but surely harmonise as much as we could in the interim between the north and the south. I mean, you already have examples of that in, in tourism, and you have examples of it, for example, with, in Alpha Gavin Hospital, the cancer unit there yes. is, is regularly open to people from Donegal, and similarly, uh, children in the north can go to the Spiceless Children's Hospital in Dublin uh, for treatment. So that's that was the objective, but the unionists uh, pulled out of the north-south bodies without any sanction. They, just as Geoffrey Donaldson pulled down the pulled Paul uh, Given out of the first ministership and ensured that the executive couldn't meet. If, could you imagine if Sinn Féin had done that? The Dublin government parties would be shouting and abusing Sinn Féin, get back in there, be responsible. But when say, when uh, when Jeffrey Donaldson pulled Paul Given out of the executive, Simon Covey said this is regrettable. The, yep. the whole tone is different. The whole orientation is different. So in terms of your question, we need, we need people to properly establish in terms of what's the tax returns that are going here. We're, we're also paying, for example, for British wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Yep. We're, so there's a lot of things that we're paying for uh, that we, we don't want to be paying for. And we have to work out how 
because part of my argument is that I mean, and you know that has to be an economic sense because, like you say, people in the south are going to turn around and say, "Well, if it's going to cost me fifty pounds a week earning my wages or fifty euros a week, that's unsustainable." But there are arguments to be made that with harmonisation of services and also making Ireland very attractive, because a lot of people don't understand that the European Union have said that if the North, if there's constitutional change, the North would be given automatic membership of the European yes. Union. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a, it's a very rich ground to harvest here and to debate and to discuss. But until the research is done and the Dublin government won't initiate the type of research that needs done. Instead, yeah. you have Michael Martin turned around saying, feel for the Republican Party, there'll be no refer- unification referendum on my watch. I mean, that just shows you the reluctance to actually explore the issue. Well, so I, actually, I could point you to Bertie Ahern, who's a regular uh, contributor to this podcast, uh, Danny, and he wants it ASAP. I mean, he wants a border poll. He thinks it should happen before 2030, maybe 2028. Uh, he's been quite open about that. But he's not Taoiseach. He's not Taoiseach. <laughs> he might come back, Danny. <laughs> you never know. But let me ask you a question about the unionists. I mean, I talked to Eamon McCann on this podcast, and I, I'm sure you, like I, admire Eamon. You know, he's a socialist. He's been true to his beliefs all his life. And he has tried to campaign across religious lines throughout his life, really. And so did men before him, like Paddy Devlin and others. It, it always failed, didn't it? And, and that's regrettable, sad. And ultimately, it's a major problem for your movement. Well, the reaching I mean, out always well, failed. You, 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 you have spoken at Fell and Fumble, Festival of the People, established in mm-hmm. Belfast, largest community festival in Ireland. Uh, I was chair of it for 11 years. We had a, a radio station, Fell FM, at which Shackled Women's Group had a slot. During our festival, we took part in the Decade of Centenaries. We hosted UVF prisoners for an entire afternoon yes. at St. Mary's University College on the Falls Road. We organised lectures on the foundation of the UVF, on the centre of the Ulster Covenant. There is a lot more uh, social intercourse taking place than I think the people are aware of. Former Republican prisoners meet regularly with loyalist prisoners uh, to discuss a range of events. What 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 can they do? Now, I, I know friends. I've, I've made friends as as a result of the peace process. Former IUC men, former British soldiers, uh, discuss the situation with them, and their position is very simple: if the people vote for United Ireland, we're in there. And they already have Irish passports. It's the it's the leaders within unionists who don't want yes. this type of growing engagement to take place. And that's why they polarise at every opportunity. Yes. They polarise the Irish language, they, po- they, they polarise everything they can go on, they polarise fella and football, uh, they try to demonise the, the festival, even though they all take part in it. Every yes. August, the leader of the DUP comes to our festival and sits on a platform. And uh, one year it was with uh, Leo Faradkar and uh, Mary Lou McDonald were on the same platform. So it is, it, the engagement can't take place if we work together. And 
those who are preventing us from working together are the leaders within the DUP, less so with the UUP. We had a position a few years ago, and I, when people say, oh, Sinn Féin brought down the Assembly for three years the last time, people fail to realise the reasons why the Assembly was brought down. We had, a, we had a DUP finance minister who had no problem whatsoever writing on the front page of the newsletter, we're running rings around Sinn Féin and government, boasting, yeah. because Sinn Féin was doing their best to maintain the institutions. Finally came to head with the RHI scandal, in which the cash everyone, crash, yeah, in which everyone yeah. here is going to be paying nine hundred million pounds until that money has been paid back. I was a DUP; uh, they were responsible for it. Arling Foster was asked to step aside for a few weeks by Mark McGuinness, and she refused. On top of that, the Minister of Arts and Cultures refused a grant to poor working class kids. The, the, the total amount of money, I think, was £65,000. And on Christmas Eve, he sent a letter to the Irish language group saying, by the way, the leaf of grant to send your kids to Donegal next year has been withdrawn. Yeah. Merry Christmas. So there was insult after insult after insult. And that's why the institutions fail. So in a sense, we need the British or Europe or someone. And I know this may, uh, this may not sound... Uh, and the language I'm going to use may not sound conciliatory, but the DUP needs chastened by events, by reality, yes. by people's needs, in order to tone down this business. We're British. We're better than you. We we won't serve. It's okay. You know, you can serve under us as first minister, but if you're entitled to be first minister, we won't serve under yeah. you, even though the posts are equal. So all of these attitudes are fed by. They are indulged by the British government. Uh, you know the deal he did with the with Theresa May to prop up yeah. our government. All of these things are unhelpful. But at on the ground level, there is a lot of discussion going on. There's a lot of debates going on, and I believe that the vast majority of the unionists would be practical and pragmatic, provided we can demonstrate that a new Ireland makes social, economic, and political sense. Let me ask you another question. I read the book about the uh, Cash for Ash scandal. Sam McBride. Sam McBride's book. Yeah, yeah Sam book. In that book, Danny, there was a clear inference that a Sinn Féin politician had to go to see an unelected member of Sinn Féin to clarify a policy decision he had to take. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. Well, I, I do indeed. This is where this whole... Yeah, well, let me... Out, let me see, the, see the guy who was... See the minister who phoned the guy? Yeah. Or who emailed him. I'm not sure it was phoned or, or an email. The guy doesn't even work in Conley House, but and was never in Conley House. But I do not see the, the importance that is attributed to this. I just do not see. It would be like Conor Murphy phoning me up and saying to me, I'm going to I'm gonna have a fund here, Right. How do you think it would be received if I was to give a million pounds to East Belfast? You know, Donny, you've worked with East Belfast, uh, the, the arts, uh, East Belfast Arts Forum over there. How do you think that would go down? He's, I'm not giving them an instruction. No. I'm giving them an opinion. And this has been elevated out of all proportion. Well, yes, let, but let me ask you the question. And the question is about the degree of influence people 
of your generation, people of your distinction as a Republican, the influence they may still have on elected representatives, although they themselves have not stood for election. You know what I'm talking about. I want to ask you. The Dublin government government ministers have advisors, both formal and informal. Yes. What do you think? Do you think that somebody in in, uh, Fianna Fáil might contact Bernie O'Hearn and say, by the way, if we do this, what do you think the effect would be uh, in, in, in East Tyrone or in Derry? None. So this is why this is why this is. I understand. I'm listening. I I do not believe this aspersion is cast. It's actually it's actually quite elitist. It's like saying that Mary Lou McDonald and Michelle O'Neill aren't clever enough to develop their own strategies, and, uh, and so therefore they need these grey haired old men, <laughs> you know, that were, that were once landed on a field, right? to tell them what to do. And it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Sinn Féin policy is developed in Ardesh, which is open. Sinn Féin come and put in motions. That's how it, that's how it, it, it goes about. And it's just another attempt to, to cast a slur. That's all it is. In okay. okay, well, I, I'm grateful to you for the time you've given us, Danny. And I want to ask you one final question about the presence of unionists particularly recalcitrant unionists who won't, you know, who won't ever want to share anything with Sinn Féin. What, in your vision of the future, let's say the next 10 to 15 years, what can be done with those people? Is it the British that have to cut them off below the knees Who's going to make them see sense? Or will it come through mutual prosperity, jobs, and all of that? Well, I think it's very important that everybody be honest and fairly transparent about what they want and what they are doing. And by the way, there's no society where all sections or all elements of it are satisfied with the position either constitutionally or social and economic matters. But the point about it is that the DUP have flirted with loyalist paramilitaries, yes. whom the police say are still active uh, in, in, in crime, uh, and that they have used them. And they, they brought out people on the streets, but not, not in the large numbers that we saw in the 70s or the 80s. So quite clearly, there is change going on within the unionist community. The unionist community, uh, in my opinion, are quite open to change are realists, and provided they, exa- they know exactly what's happening, the pace at which it's happening, that they have an input into what's happening, an input into change. See, one of the big, they used to say that, that home rule was Rome rule. Yeah. And they, they no longer can point to the 26 counties as being a repressive clerical society. All that has changed. That argument has, has gone from them. And they, they, they can no longer use... There's a variety of arguments they use about sectarianism. All that is going is, is going out the window. And they're reluctant. They just do not want to have change. You had people in South Africa who didn't want to change, who were part of the ruling elite. And even afterward, and, and the same, same in, in, in Zimbabwe, although I disagree with the way uh, Mugabe treated the, the white community in Zimbabwe, but you had people there who weren't happy with change either. And 
the vast majority of them actually stayed behind and the next generation will be much more integrated. I have great faith in our, our young people. Uh, they were, I mean, when I was a kid, we couldn't, certain areas we couldn't go into. Now there's a large movement of people. We've got people from uh, Carrick Fergus, from Lorne, from the Shackle Road, coming to our festival in West Belfast, coming to yes. the concerts in the Falls Park. So there's a way, there's a way of breaking through here, but you must be honest with people and quite clear about what you're trying to achieve. And people know my views, and my, my, my unionist friends know my views, and I don't try to change them. They don't try to change me. We respect the differences and we agree to work for the laughter of the children, as Bobby Sands once said. Will you see the day in your lifetime when we have a United Ireland? Well, that, of course, depends on how long I live. Well, you're looking <laughs> good from where, from where <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting, almost, Danny. I'm almost there. And you don't, I know you've <laughs> no bad habits. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, I, uh, I hope so. I am quite confident that regardless if I die tomorrow, that down the line, yes. we will end British interference in our country. Because let's not forget, that's where it comes from. British interference, both historically and contemporary, in terms of these ministers that we have, to, secretaries of state who can impose direct rule, who fly in here for one day yeah. and tell us how to live our lives. I mean, it's, it's totally unacceptable. And to me, it's good to go back to the wolf tone. England is the ever failed source of all our ills. Okay. Danny, it's a pleasure always to talk thank to you. you. And um, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the stand. I should say there's a couple of books. One in particular, it's called The Wrong Man. It's a book uh, that Danny wrote in the late 90s. And the Sunday Times said of it, it's a powerful and complex piece of storytelling. And the Belfast Telegraph said it should come to be regarded as one of the most important books on the troubles. So if you were to do nothing else, next time you go into a bookshop or go on Amazon, the book is called The Wrong Man. The writer is Danny Morrison, and we're very grateful to Danny for being with us today. To all of you for listening, that's all we have time for now, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.